welcome to episode four of season seven of Relay SA. Uh, Relay SA is a podcast that features a connected conversation about student affairs in Canada. The that's the SA part is for student affairs. The Relay part is that everyone we interview uh, towards the end gets to suggest names of folks we should interview next, so that we are creating this kind of connected conversation where each person suggests the next person we should talk to, kind of creating this chain. My name is Adam Kewen, and I'm here with my co-host with the most, Nadia Rosemond. Adam, I'm really excited for this interview uh, that you did this one alone. Um, what are some little little tidbits that you got from this, little things that you're excited about? So, Tamara Leary is uh, uh, on faculty at Royal Roads, and I think Royal Roads is a relatively a uh, new institution in terms of folks participating in their master's programs there. I know um, a couple years ago my brother did his master's there and then some of my friends are doing their master's in leadership. Um, and so I was always very curious, um, both in terms of the model, so they have a blended model in terms of you go for a residency but then you do the rest of it remote. Um, there's also the methodology that, that you go and you do it in the X, the X mansion because I think <laughs> that, that the site is used for um, the X-Men film. <laughs> really excited to, to chat with Tamara about the program and her work and her career because um, I think it's just really interesting to get the insights of folks who are running these programs. Okay, this is exciting. Yeah. Hope you enjoy. Thanks. I will declare that I'm not the type to have any yes. It's worth all the shares. The number one podcast is student affairs. Want to hear what they have to say Along with all the guests that popping on the way Without further delay It's Relay SA So, um, thank you so much for joining us, me, for this interview. Can you state your name for the record? Carl Leary, and I am the school director uh, for the School of Education and Technology at Royal Roads University, and I am the program head for the Masters of Arts in Higher Education Administration and Leadership. Do you call it Mahil, or is that just me from reading all the acronyms? Mahil? <laughs> no, no, yeah, Mahil, yeah. Perfect. Um, so thank you so much. I want to, I mean, in preparing for this interview, there's like a depth of experience that we could do deep dives into your experience with social work, your experience at UPEI, your experience with caucus and AUKUS and consulting. Um, so I think we're just maybe going to dip our toes into all of those different things, if that's all right. Sounds good. So why don't you take us back to pre-university or college? Like, where were you Where were you at before you decided to go to... You did your undergrad at UPEI, correct? I did, yeah. I did a Bachelor of Arts at UPEI. I um, then moved out to Victoria in 1990, and I did my Bachelor of Social Work at the University of Victoria. Uh, my intention was to go forward with being a social worker, uh, to get my master's and, and um, stay in that social service sector. I worked with adults who have intellectual disabilities and I did a lot of work with, with parents um, who uh, parents who have an intellectual disability and their children do not. Okay. So that was kind of the, the avenue of social work that I had, uh, was headed into. 
Uh, moved to PEI uh, in 96, and then in 99, uh, saw an opportunity at UPEI in their Student Services Division to lead a new program uh, designed specifically to support students who have intellectual disabilities with accessing uh, post-secondary. Okay. So these would be students that um, otherwise would not be able to go to university. So, you know, whether they had Down syndrome or, um, you know, some variation of an intellectual disability, they didn't hold a, a, a grade 12 diploma okay. in order to go to university. So it was a fantastic program. Uh, it was one of a kind back east. It was modeled on one at Grant McEwen, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was able to kind of merge my social work background um, with, uh, my love of kind of the education sector as well and that's where all of a sudden I, I fell madly in love with student services <laughs> um, and even though I, I uh, vacated my position as program coordinator for that program in 90 uh, when did I do that in no 2002 I was working on my master's of adult ed through St. Abax at the time and uh, the, the more I learned about student services, uh, the more I wanted to learn. So I completed my master's. I stayed at, uh, uh, I left for like two months. And then they called and they said, um, you know, would you come back to develop a program for students, uh, particularly first year students, who were at risk of being dismissed, academically dismissed at Christmas. Okay. And I did. And uh, so I developed the student success program, and which I'm proud to say is alive and well. Still uh, kicking. To this day. Uh, it, um, it was fantastic. And, and, you know, how things kind of happen, I always say that nobody goes to kindergarten career day and says that they want to work in higher education. It's just, it's just not, we, we tend to fall into it. Yeah. Uh, so that program gave me an opportunity to learn that much more about what first-year students were experiencing as they mm. transitioned into university. Um, so I got a real good understanding of, you know, many of the students that were in those classes at Christmas were either in the wrong program, they were in a program for which they had no love or passion, uh, whether that was at the advice of a very well-intended parent or friend or, you know, they thought they had to be into sciences or business because arts wouldn't get them anywhere or something like that. Right. So a lot of that. So that kind of perked my interest in academic advising. Hmm. What were we doing as an institution? And uh, also in first year orientation, um, I, I can say confidently that many of the students that I saw uh, go through that program, the student success program, one of the challenges that was that they were feeling isolated and more often than not, they had opted out of new student orientation. Okay. So it was real good, you know, it made for a real good case to say, okay, what are we doing in our new student orientation and how can we um, make sure that this is just a standard process of uh, first year students coming in? So that all kind of, all of a sudden, first year student experience was kind of right in front of me as a part of, you know, as a result of the student success program. And uh, so I started taking on other initiatives there. Uh, I was the student, what was I, student success coordinator or something. We came up with some sort of title at the time. And essentially what it meant was in addition to student success program, I had first year student orientation and academic advising. So worked with colleagues uh, at UPEI um, and Together, we, you know, we revised the academic advising model. Uh, we did a lot of work with a new student orientation. 
And, um, you know, time flies by. And at that point, I had set my sights on completing a doctorate because I wanted to be a vice president of student affairs. And I knew I needed that, right. that credential okay. to be at that table, uh, rightly, wrongly. Uh, you know, it, it, for me, and I and I loved learning and that sort of thing, so it wasn't a, a hard sell for me to decide to do that. Uh, University of Calgary's program aligned best with what I wanted to do, and uh, off I went. And shortly into that program, I realized that I wanted to set aside the administration side of higher ed or student services, and I wanted to delve further into the faculty side. Right. Um, my thinking at the time, Adam, was if I was to be a senior leader, um, I knew a lot about the practical side, the administration side, right. but I knew very little about the academic faculty side. Gotcha. And of course, as you well know, in student affairs, we kind of often talk about how do we build bridges with um, academics, with faculty. Yeah. So my intention was to kind of dive in there, see what I can find, see what I can contribute, come back out and, you know, uh, carry on with my plan. Um, I... Uh, by the time in 2007, I took on director of student services at UBI in an acting capacity and then was appointed director um, in 2009. I remained in that position. Uh, it was a robust uh, position. Um, and at times, you know how things make sense when you look back on them. At the time, I remember quite uh, often feeling overwhelmed mm. because at UPI at that time, uh, the direct report for the director's student services was the provost was and I had the largest portfolio of that position sure. oversaw recruitment international student services health new student orientation um, counseling career um, accessibility services so there was just this Whoa. huge yeah that's huge of services and um, in my because recruitment was part of my portfolio um, I got a real good um, feel for what that meant. How do we recruit? What mm. does strategic and management actually mean? And so working together with colleagues there, helping to establish some processes to get us through recruitment and uh, enrollment planning. It was, you know, after I left that position, I realized um, how grateful I was for it because I had, um, it wasn't until I started comparing notes with other directors of student services that I realized I had been given a, a great opportunity um, to see recruitment in action because mm -hmm. quite often that works through another avenue and marketing and, um, you know, Sam, those sorts of conversations were, I was responsible for it and I, I assumed everybody was and then you right. learned that no, in fact, that's not necessarily the case. Um, as you all know, we don't have a standard box of what fits into student affairs in Canada. Um, so finished the doctorate. Uh, in 2012. Um, celebrated, and, uh, I hope. Was, what? Celebrated, I hope. After you <laughs> celebrated, uh, came, yeah, started thinking, okay, well, what next? And of course, one of the challenges uh, when you live on a small island is, you know, there were two big players in town, Holland College and UPEI. We didn't have a VP or an AVP at that time, so I knew I, I'd hit my ceiling as to where where I could go. And by then I'd been there 12 years. And um, I maintain that, you know, one needs to know when to pass the torch. Sure. And so I very much felt that I was at that place. Okay. There was new energy was needed, new leadership. Um, 
you know, and, and that's okay. I think that's standard. You, uh, you know, you take, you accomplish what you set it to accomplish and then it's what's next. So fortunately, a um, short-term position opened up at Memorial University in their post-secondary education program, which was online. And I was asked if I would take that on, um, which I did. So uh, for the next three years, I taught in Lund's um, master's program. I carried three courses minimum uh, for 13 consecutive terms. So I was back to back. Whoa. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> when you're a contract faculty, you know, it's, it's to let it go. I was scared I wouldn't, I wouldn't get it back. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> really enjoyed it. Of course, the students, fantastic, right? Many of them from student affairs backgrounds, um, higher ed, uh, education. So it was a phenomenal experience, and I truly, truly enjoyed it. I was also able at that time to um, do some work for, for Academica, mm-hmm. and that's where I really started to see, um, appreciate my experience that much more that I had gained. Uh, while at UPEI, and uh, I really enjoyed being tasked with um, the the responsibility to try and help institutions identify where some of their challenges were and identify what some of the strategies to overcome those challenges were. So again, that gave me a nice bird's eye view of what you know what do other institutions struggle with, and there's more similarities than there are differences. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, and then uh, 2015, this position opened up at Royal Roads. Uh, for me, it was the ideal combination of um, practice and academic. Uh, Royal Roads has a very um, uh, a priority for scholar practitioners to lead their program. So folks that have the academic credentials but also have the experience. And it was a new program. I had uh, by the time I got here, it was only in operation for a few months. And I uh, was thrilled to have this opportunity. Um, love the program. Um, I'm very passionate about ensuring that there are graduate opportunities, whether mm. it's in Royal Roads or elsewhere, for people working in higher education, particularly student affairs, because that covers, you know, um, the largest. That that that's the largest perspective student group right. for programs like the Of course. And uh, three years into program head, I uh, stepped up to be school director. So, ta-da! Ta-da! Here we are. (laughs) Wow. Um, There's so much I want to jump back into. Um, So, how does one become a consultant with Academica? Because I feel like many of us get the top 10 in our inbox every day and are aware (laughs) of kind of the work that they do across the country. But I, I hadn't thought about the bird's eye view part of being able to see kind of across the landscape, but what was that experience like? How did you connect with that? Um, it was a fantastic experience, and I've done some small consulting projects on my own since leaving Academica, and I, I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, you know, I'm solution-focused, so when someone presents uh, an issue uh, or a problem, to be able to help them navigate that and to listen to people and to put the pieces together, and to offer, you know, hopefully some solutions or, or options for solutions, um, you know, is, is, is uh, a fantastic, it's fantastic, that work is great. Um, how did I get into it? Um, believe it or not, um, it was a cold call on my part. I uh, was, you know, certainly enjoying uh, teaching for Memorial, but it wasn't enough. Um, 
I, uh, you know, when you're, when you're teaching on your own and you're not even at, you know, you're not in the institution, it's lonely sure. uh, and it felt somewhat isolated. So I thought, okay, well, you know, what can I do? And, and reached out. And at that time they were about to bid on a project. So they, they tested me out and we got the project and it kind of went forward from there. So. That's amazing. Is there um, any projects from your time with Academica that stand out that uh, were particularly memorable or exciting for you? Um, gosh, that's a very good question. I think, uh, I think you know, in terms of, they were all very, very interesting. Um, I think, you know, for each of them, they all required um, having to meet with people mm. and to listen. And, you know, when you start to do it enough and you start to see similarities uh, between institutions, as somebody who, you know, studies higher education, for me, it was, um, you know, it was, it was uh, proof of what I had read, what I had studied, right. what I thought was, was actually happening. Um, so, you know, time and time again, you see, um, and it, it sounds like common sense, but when you, when, you, when you realize that it's not being practiced, you start to question, well, is it common sense? Um, you know, the value of communication, the value of transparency, um, role clarification, and change. That's probably the biggest thing, if I think about it. When I, when I think back to the projects I was involved with, so much of them were the result of a little bit of, you know, some chaos or uncertainty sure. um, resulting because change, organizational change, hadn't been communicated effectively and people are left to make sense of things on their own and mm. in the absence of information people make up they fill in the gaps right for better so or for worse we started to see oh my gosh how is it that collectively we all know communication good communication is key we talk about it but so many of us you know i think in the hustle and bustle of day-to-day -day work we forget and <laughs> yeah. you know when you're when your institution is going through any sort of change it's a full-time, somebody should have just had the full-time job of making sure stakeholders are informed as things unfold. Yeah. So that was probably the biggest takeaway. Relationships, you know, mm. when you walk in and there's some conflict, uh, really and truly it comes down to, you know, ensuring that people feel valued, ensuring that people know what their role is right. and, and how very important it is. Mm. Um, to the overall student experience, whether you're, you know, um, in the classroom or in the cafeteria or in the res or taking care of the grounds, these are all vital to the student experience. It's so whole. And, you know, I, I try, lesson that I took from that is I try to reinforce that uh, in building relationships and any opportunity to help people understand um, or take pride that much more pride in their role in the student experience mm. um, You know, I try to I try to seek that out because it's so so important and when it's not there. It's problematic Well, and I, I feel like that resonates so strongly in one of the pieces I mean a lot of the things that you wrote but one that I was just reviewing um, Which is around orientation is more than fun and games and I felt yes. like that also really highlighted lots of the different roles that people can play in really supporting the transition and how important the transition is for oh, students, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, It, um, you know, NSO, from a new student orientation for me was, um, I loved it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it because it brings you, you know, I was working so closely with the students um, incoming and, and the student union presidents and developing relationships. And, um, 
you know, there were, there were times where, yeah, in my role as director of student services, I had to say no, or I had to say, you know, squish mm, ideas. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it was always based on, um, based on my experience and the students being students, they were doing what they should be doing. They were thinking like 19 year olds, 20 year olds, 23 year olds, like they weren't worried about liability or safety or reputation, the degree that I was. So lots of learning opportunities, mm. um, created there trying to make the best use of new student orientation, you know, realizing it, it, it unfolds any, you know, if we're still doing orientation as a isolated two-day raw, raw, you're here and leaving, we're not doing new student orientation. Right. You know, really. Uh, um, as you well know, students have highs and lows and that first year is so critical and uh, ensuring that there's lots of touch points through that, that they're, they're feeling informed and supported is, is uh, essential. And I see that as, you know, a year-long new student orientation. So I know you also focused on um, the transition of international students as part of your dissertation research, right? So how did you come to I that did. area of focus for your research question? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, I was uh, asked, I was invited in 2009, 2007, 2009. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was 2007. Um, to develop the student success program in Egypt for a university in uh, Cairo. So over I go uh, for four weeks. I'd never crossed the pond before. Uh, so I, over I go by myself to Cairo. And it was there that I had a couple of experiences that I can only equate with, you know, culture shock. Mm. Um, as, a, as a woman by myself over in... Um, a culture where you know I, I couldn't sit out at seven o'clock in the evening at the hotel. I very quickly learned that uh, I was treated like uh, gold by the institution. They were phenomenal. The students were phenom- uh, phenomenal. But you know I, I didn't have my own smells, my own sound of music, my music in the background, and I'd never really realized before. I've lived in all parts of Canada uh, since being a child up through my adult years, so I didn't think I would struggle with that, mm. but I really did. Um, you know, you go two weeks, three weeks, and you're, it, it's just the slightest things. You're, you're longing to hear, um, you know, your own radio, uh, smell your own foods in the background, sure. hear conversations at distance in English. So I was going through that, and um, I had an incident uh, with being dropped off at a mall. <laughs> uh, one night, five drivers were assigned to me, and they left me there, and um, I got lost. And I couldn't speak Arabic, and I had nobody with me, and um, I couldn't find my driver. Uh, he he had said he picked me up one place, and I had understood another, and I couldn't get anybody to help me. And uh, people would just put their hands up uh, with me, and I was scared. And I, you know, eventually found somebody who took the phone and spoke to the driver and, you know, I got in the car and all this sort of stuff. And of course, then you realize, okay, what did you think was going to happen? Like it wasn't, you know, I was safe. Nobody was able to get me. But not being able to communicate my Mm. fear and needing help really uh, struck a chord with me. And I thought, oh, my soul, what are we doing for our international students? Is this what they might go through? If English is not their, you know, second language, uh, first language, you know, they're not fluent in it, 
and we're throwing all this information at them. Right. What? So that's that's what led me to think, okay, I need to find out. And at the time, believe it or not, there was very, very little uh, published on international students in Canada mm. as a whole. Um, I remember telling my topic to a colleague, and he was like, I think you might be onto something. And here we are now in 2019, and mm-hmm. you know it's still a topic being researched. Uh, there's much more out there. Um, but at the time that I did it, I was like, it was there was there was a dearth of literature. Like I couldn't find very much. And what was the experience like of working on your doctorate? I think I read that Peggy Patterson was your supervisor. I mean, that's like yeah. that's like <laughs> yeah, solid gold it. right there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the University of Calgary uh, Ed D in higher education was the perfect fit for me um, because you know the Ed D's recognize your practice mm. as well. I was torn between doing a PhD or an Ed D, and I'm more practice, practice applied in nature, so that one uh, just felt more comfortable to me. Um, a lot of work. Uh, you have to have a tremendous support system in place. Uh, you know, for me at the time, it meant my husband was taking the lion's share of, you know, a lot of uh, sporting events, and sometimes he would pack up the, the kids and go camping so that I could just write for a weekend. Um, you know, and and it is it's it's and I say this to people that are thinking about doing it. You know, by all means, go for it. I I'm a big advocate of that. I think you develop so much personally and professionally. Um, and I'm all about getting more people in higher education in Canada to do their doctorates um, because, you know, we have so much to research and so much to publish, but you have to have the support system. And it's, it's almost like a family decision or a couple's decision or whatever because it's, it's huge. Right. It takes a lot of time. It took me just under five years. Wow. And... Um... Did you ever, did you always think you were going to do a doctorate or is it something, I mean, I know you mentioned that you had a realization that this is what you needed or felt like you needed to get at certain tables, but as you were entering your undergrad, was this something that you were projecting even the possibility of doing um, doctoral work? Uh, I, you know, I, I don't ever remember setting it as a goal. I remember when I finished my master's. Uh, just briefly thinking, hmm, I wonder if I should go for my doctorate, and and then it just kind of went aside. Um, I think, you know, I think for me, it my my. Um, I mean, it took me on a different path as it was. Right. I went into it with the intention of staying in administration, and it led me to faculty. Uh, so I didn't see that one coming. Okay. Um, I'm I'm very glad that it did. I I love what I do. It, that experience as well, I'm still trying to navigate my way, Adam, as a faculty member. Um, I refer to myself as almost being in no man's land. Uh, coming into academia late in life with mm. you know, no publications, tons of practice, but no publications. Academia still doesn't know what to do with you if you don't have those publications. Um, and when you get your doctorate the, and you're not in practice, they don't really know what to make of you either. Sure. Because their mandate is different. So you're very much in the middle and uh, trying to establish, um, you know, an academic identity is uh, is is something I'm still trying to navigate. 
Well, I think that's such a good transition into d diving deeper into your experience as a faculty person. So you're, what is what is it like? What is your life like? I mean, before <laughs> before you were teaching kind of as a sessional, you had a course load of about three courses and kind of all that goes with that. So now, like, what is your what is the life like of a faculty member? service experience and lens. Um, on this side of the fence, I have realized that many faculty have, because of the nature of their work, they don't know the operational side of the university. Right. Um, that hasn't been their world, uh, rightly, wrongly. So their understanding of, of policies and how um, the operation side and the finance side and even the student development side mm. is somewhat foreign. Gotcha. Um, and so I've, I, made, I made assumptions that they do know because I was using my perspective and on this side I can tell you most don't mm. and nor do they want to know. They're busy doing their research. Um, I love the teaching. I mean anything that brings you with the students is fantastic. Uh, I thrive on that. The service and academic admin um, you know, I'm heavy on that side because I'm a program head and because I chose to be school director. So the research part for me is the biggest challenge. And the more I read or I um, seek out uh, guidance around how do I establish that identity as a, as a researcher, the more I'm learning that it's very difficult, if not impossible, to try to be both mm. uh, active academic and a contributor to the administrative side. So, you know, whether you picture it as a foot on two icebergs that are going this, you know, <laughs> direction sometimes, uh, I'm always trying to bring them together and more and more I'm realizing that that's probably unrealistic um, okay. on my part. They are two very different organization cultures. Mm. Um, the academic side, when you think of it, what we look for from our academics uh, is creativity. It's being innovative. It's, you know all about the research, knowledge, the teaching. Advancing knowledge, that yeah. Creativity, what's that? Oh, advancing knowledge, yeah. Absolutely, advancing, getting it out there, you know, and, and so that's a very, you know, it's a creative bubble. You're, you're and it's very isolated. Um, you're working on your own, you know, there's limited funds, so there's a competitive nature to it. Um, but it's, it's, it, you know, it goes to a whole different beat than the administration side, where, where we're on administrator side, you know, it's Monday to Friday, nine to five. We're meeting, we're making decisions, we're policy, we're keeping the institution afloat. Um, it's very practical, it's very uh, pragmatic. Uh, not a whole lot of creativity happening over there necessarily, um, and nor is it, in, you know, is it lo looked for, right? It's just go, make sure that this institution is, is staying afloat. So it's two very, one, you know, it's almost a bureaucratic mm, side, okay. whereas the other one's almost entrepreneurial. Um, so they're very, very different. And I don't know that we talk a lot about that. I think, you know, my experience has been both kind of point the finger at each other when it comes to talking about, well, how come things aren't stronger between the two sides or how come there's a gap. But I, I would say to both sides quite confidently, one is no better or worse than the other. 
at forming those those bridges. And that, not to point fingers, the cultures are very different. Sure. Yeah. Um, we 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 truly are, and it's like nobody wants to say that. So, and it doesn't make one better than the other. Not at all. Both are integral to the student experience. Absolutely. But they're very different. Okay. Hmm. Um. So and so, tell me about your program. Like, what is your, what does the program look like? If folks were, if students are curious about applying or learning more, what what should they think about? What should they consider? What would they awesome. expect from your program? Well, it uh, so so the meal program is a two year program. Uh, it's blended, so students do <clears throat> two residencies. The first residency is at the beginning of the program, two weeks here on campus, and the last residency is during their last course. Uh, and it's a three-day residency on campus, or they can attend that one virtually. Uh, the first one, they have to be on campus. The second one, where it's only three days, it may not make financial sense for people to come for three days, so they attend on a laptop. Um, it's comprised of 10 courses. There is a thesis option. If students apply for a thesis, then they're doing eight courses plus their proposal plus their, uh, their primary research. The, we use a cohort model here at Royal Roads, so you start with your cohort and you finish with your cohort. Within the VEO program, there are two streams of specialization. One is systems leadership, and the other is business development in international education. Both of those specializations consist of three courses, so both can be done independent of McGill for a graduate certificate. Okay. So some students don't want full a master's, they just want the certificate, they get in, usually what happens is they get in, they do the three, and then they want the full master's, so they circle back, they can ladder in. Okay. Um, we also have diploma, which is one one year of the program. Uh, class sizes typically on average are about 23 students, um, you know, and, and I, I quite like that. I think once we start getting above 25, the you know, I worry about the, um, the quality mm-hmm. in terms of really giving the one-to-one feedback and the engagement. Um, so that works very well, that number. Um, the, when you take your courses, they're online. We use Moodle for, as our platform. Courses are nine weeks. You have about five days between courses and you start another one. So it's, okay. a, it's a big two commitment, but that's how we get you through your master's in two years. Right. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's different than, you know, the traditional term where you have you're a lot of courses, you have Christmas break. That's not the way it rolls here. We just keep going. Keep going. <laughs> and for yeah. the residency, how do people tolerate your ugly campus? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I see it the pictures and it is Stunning. I've been on a lot of campuses, uh, I'm sure you have as well in Canada, and there's some beautiful ones. Um, UPEI certainly being up there as, as one of the nicer nicer ones, but we got a castle. Yeah, it How is. How many, you know, we got Ryan Reynolds hanging out at the castle. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's enough to get uh, me to do a master's again. Okay. <laughs> it is beautiful. There's no two ways about it. It's a special piece of land. Um you know, uh, it, I always chuckle because the first days of residency, I always warn the students that the, the peacocks that they're admiring and taking pictures of and ooing and eyeing over, they will want to, you know, have removed by the time they leave <laughs> because of the screams that they make it for in the morning. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it is a beautiful campus. It's small enough that we can be nimble mm. and um, dynamic enough 
that people don't get bored. The, you know, student satisfaction, certainly with Mihil, we're now entering our fifth year. Uh, so, so far has been very positive. Starting to see students who are coming because their director completed the course and they want them to have a good okay. time. So that to me is like fantastic, right? That's what we want. The Canadian higher education sector is so small that to be, you know, one of the few programs in Canada that exists and to know that it's being marketed by people who have completed it is the best form of recruitment. Yeah, yeah it's the best referral. Um, yeah. so, so what are the discussions you're having, having with your learners? What, what's the substance of what folks are talking about in your program? Uh, great question. That really uh, zooms in on, on the trends. Um, so when I, I teach, I usually teach the first course in the program, which is leadership, and the last course, which is their final research paper, which is six months, uh, their systematic lit review. And when I think about the topics that they're choosing, uh, hot topics continue to be quality assurance. Mm. You know, people are still, because most of the students that are in Mihil are coming from, you know, that student services sector. They're coming from registrar, uh, counseling, accessibility services, residents, uh, recruitment. We have a couple of faculty that come from colleges because they need their masters to um, advance administratively and they may not have a bachelor's. And of course, you don't have to have a bachelor's to get into this program. We have flexible admission. Uh, as long as you have the experience. Um, so quality assurance is a big topic. People wanting to know how to um, document, the how to measure and document the success mm, okay. of programs, funding purposes. Internationalization, still big. Um, I, I'm cautious on that one all the time because people still identify it as a trend, and I don't see it as a trend anymore. I think that it is inherently part of who we are and uh, we have to stop thinking about it as an add-on or separate or right. specialization. Mm -hmm. um, there's very little of anything we can do in higher ed, no matter where you're or that does not involve having a, an international or a global perspective. Sure. So I, you know, I think that one is, even though it's still a hot topic, it, it, uh, it hopefully is, is becoming more and more embedded so that it's no longer seen as something, you know, uh, um, different than, uh, you know, the, the, the regular goings and comings of within higher ed. Um, the other big one is leadership. Uh, and of course, we focus a lot on leadership here in the program. So people still, you know, really interested in what does it take to make a good leader at a college or university? How does one navigate or lead change is another big topic. Um, and then we have little pockets. Academic advising is still of interest to people and, and I think that one I, I kind of smile at because I remember years ago when I was uh, when it was part of, of my portfolio it was still kind of this thing that was out there that institutions weren't quite sure what it was sure. or how to do it um, and I'm really pleased to see that we've got some great people some great champions here in Canada now that are um, doing great work in bringing academic advising along those are, yeah, those would be the biggest, I think, issues. Um, SEM is a big one too, but again, that's one of those ones that I'm thinking it's not going anywhere, it's not a trend. Institutions will always be interested in how they, how to best recruit and retain their students. Yeah, and that connection between how the, what the promise of the things we're saying in our recruitment messaging and the, how that lines up with the experience that students are likely gonna have when they- Oh yeah. Absolutely. And matriculate and enroll and participate. Yeah. 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 
Um, I I want us to know what. Uh, oh, what was my question? What would folks be surprised to learn about the life of a faculty member? Uh, I think they would be surprised to learn um, that you know while you have great autonomy and flexibility, you really don't have a lot of uh, authority. Mm. You're you know you faculty um, have to do their job within fairly. Um, some very clear boundaries. Sure. So yeah, they they do have autonomy, and they're going and they're coming, and and you know people, uh, it's both a, a it's a you know it's a privilege, and um, people sometimes assume that that's all we do. I think once you get immersed in it, one of the biggest things that I learned is you, you are basically driven by the rules of the institution and writing. I had no appreciation for what it meant when a faculty person says, no, I can't do that, I'm writing that week. Mm. I remember back in my UPI days, um, you know, if I was trying to meet with a faculty person or a faculty person was canceling, saying, you know, I'm writing. I, I honestly, I don't, I remember thinking, oh, for God's sakes, I write policy, I write reports, get it done. Um, I, this is one of the many times that I, I've had to sit back and go, oh, Hey, didn't understand sure. the depth because it's so scrutinized and mm. it's peer reviewed and you have to be in the zone and it's very difficult to write or research or read while you're answering emails or engaged in class. So that's probably the biggest thing and you kind of gotta experience it to understand it. Gotcha. That's good to know. Um in my hard-hitting journalistic research, um, I found some information on RateMyProfessor.com um, that says, uh, this professor really cares about her students. Don't mess around. If you work hard and are diligent, she will be the best professor you've ever had. Um, so what are the most challenging and rewarding parts of teaching as a faculty member? Well, definitely the most rewarding part is um, you know, engaging with students and seeing them, those aha moments, or, you know, when you get a note from a student saying, oh my gosh, I, you know, I never understood the, the power of systems thinking, and I was just in a meeting, and I use the term, you know, and they're, and they're just, they're applying what they're learning, and, and they're just so thrilled with themselves, rightly so, and proud of their learning. That's probably one of the best feelings, um, that, that relationship and that back-to-back. -back. One of the most challenging, um, Hmm. Honestly, you know, I can count on one hand in all my years teaching how many students I would think of as, you know, difficult or that I just couldn't connect with. Um, so, you know, everybody has that. I think that's just human nature. Um, I think sometimes the, the, the difficulty is when, if you have a student that doesn't engage mm. and they're still expecting the, um, you know, the graduate level credential. And, you know, being able to hit that spot with every student where, yeah, I'm, I'm fair, but I'm also holding, you know, I'm also ensuring that the academic uh, rigor for the graduate degree is worth something. Right. And, you know, that's, so sometimes that gets, you know, difficult if you have a student that thinks, no, I'm, you know, I got this, just give me the credit. And you're thinking, no, that like you, you know, when everybody walks across that stage to get that uh, graduate degree, 
they need to know that it mattered. They worked hard for it, and all of you worked hard for it. Um, but, you know, honestly, again, very few instances where I've, I've had to have those conversations with students. Um, most students, particularly adult learners at the graduate level, are taking the program because they want to. So they're engaged, right. which is very different than having to take a course that they don't want to. Gotcha. Um, you know, that's, that's problematic. Uh, but yeah, students are fantastic that come into me. They really are. They're driven. They're motivated. They're engaged. Um, they're committed to higher ed. Um, yeah, no, it's been very positive. Um, all right. I, I think that comes to the end of the questions I have for you before we get to the lightning round. I think I literally could spend a whole podcast just talking about all the AUKUS awards you've won. I feel like you've won every <laughs> single one and you've been super involved with caucus and like from coast to coast, like you've been really this kind of pan-Canadian experience in a lot of ways, which I think is so fascinating. So maybe that's for another conversation, another time. For sure. Um, are you okay to get into these rapid fire questions? Sure. Um, fire. What's the last book you read? last book I read, um, House of Little Lies. Okay. It was House of Little Lies, yeah. What's next, what's next on your reading list? Testament. Testament, okay. Uh, what was your last Netflix binge, if you watched Netflix? Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Peaky Blinders, hello. Is that good? That's a Season five. Okay, season five. I need to jump into that. Um, if you were to donate... Uh, let's say you came into a whole bunch of money and you were able to donate a whole bunch of money to a university or college for a building. What kind of building would you want to build in your name? Oh, what a great question. I would love to, I would love to have a building uh, that really focused on accessibility, equity, and diversity so that it was, it was intentionally structured to ensure that everyone had access to it, that it supported learning, uh, that um, and that it would provide opportunities, so that would be part of the other money, some sort of scholarships or something, so that people could uh, to could access it. So yeah, I think it would have to be something that was very accessible, and um, reflect in some capacity would reflect an institution's commitment to equity and diversity. Excellent. Uh, if you could go back in time, what would you say to first year you? Oh, go to class. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Tamara, are you a dog or a cat person? Dog. Yeah, same. Um, if you were to make a time capsule that if opened a hundred years from now would tell the story of what it's like to work in student affairs today, what would you put in it? Oh, what a great question. Oh, what would I put in it? Um, I'd probably put some of the materials from uh, New Student Orientation. I would put in uh, something the higher education geek in me would want the academic calendar, uh, uh, academic regulations in there. Um, some pictures, pictures of students having a great time, uh, pictures of the university, um, buildings, um, anything that you know reflected kind of the the uh, spirit of the university. I would probably want to put in a list of one of the top 10 happenings in higher education in Canada that uh, at that time, and maybe some of the challenges student services uh, faces, and a couple of good books. Uh, you know, get something in there by Pasquarella and Terenzini and, um, you know, uh, 
uh, make sure that uh, Donna and Carney's book is in there. Yeah, two books. both yes. of them. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Um, so that's the kind of end of those questions. Actually, there's one more, which is, you know, this is a relay kind of themed podcast. So we're always yeah. looking to know who we're going to pass the baton along to. So who do you think we should interview next? idea to, to kind of you know leverage one from the other I would think in terms of trying to get that that holistic experience and and uh, right now I'm kind of taken with the whole transition from admin to faculty or faculty to admin I would suggest someone like Linda Party okay who was a student service she's at University of Fraser Valley and she was the director of student services then she was a faculty member and now she's back on the administrative side as associate dean of student affairs. So that would be a really interesting. I think she would have a really interesting perspective, um, kind of having gone back and forth. Yeah, amazing. Uh, and so West Coast, and then you probably have lots in the East. We're always. I mean, we've interviewed a few folks from the East, and they're always really excellent interviews. So I'm never going to say <laughs> no to more suggestions for East Coast uh, colleagues. Rob Shea and Angie Clark, Jennifer Brown. Uh, these are people I know you know. Uh, Matthew Guy as well would be a great, uh, great guy, I think, too, if you haven't had a chance to chat with him. Um, I think, you know, folks that are active in the AUKUS or caucus um, or CSSHE, um, you know, these are people that go one step beyond, too, in their work. Like, they, they truly are engaged and they're truly committed right. to the sector. So uh, names, you know, pop to mind right away when, when you think about who, who could give you that, that lens and uh, would be good to interview. Amazing. Those are amazing suggestions. Thank you so much. Oh, and, you're most welcome. And thank you so much for making the time for a podcast interview on a, the day after election day. <laughs> and just making the time with the time difference. So I really, really appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Um, thank you so much, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take good care. Bye. Bye. Adam, I say this every time, but that was obviously a great interview. Thanks for that. I know. It was so good. Thank you. And thanks to Tamara for the time. I really appreciate it. Um, if folks are looking to connect with her directly, or I mean by Twitter, <laughs> uh, then you can grab her handle is at TA. L-E-A-R-Y. Don't forget to uh, loop myself and Adam in that conversation on Twitter. Our handles are at NadsRoses and at AdamQuin with the hashtag RelaySA. Huge thank you to Adrian Ross who uh, composed and produced our theme music. And also want to give a shout out to uh, David Ibiam, who uh, has another student affairs podcast uh, in Canada called the Student Success Exchange. So go give that a listen if you're looking for some other uh, student affairs CanCon. Um, I'm sad because we are going to leave you soon with the last episode for season seven, but it's a good one. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening. <laughs>